unbelievable Bible club. This is it. It's here. You're here. Let's get into it. Last time on the podcast, I said that I've been getting into some esoteric shit lately. Specifically, the world of Jewish mysticism. Jewish mysticism. I touched on this briefly in episode 18, Sod and the Rod of God. Remember, Sod is the mystical, secret interpretation of the Bible. Because I am the non-believer, and I'm reading the Bible for the first time, I want to make sure I'm considering all interpretations, the literal, the metaphorical, and the secret, esoteric, incredibly dense Jewish version. It's the coolest part. Why? I'll explain. I came across, in my travels, a book called The Sefer Yetzirah. The Sefer Yetzirah is one of the most enigmatic books in all of Jewish mysticism. I call it a book. What it really is, is a collection of traditions. Traditions of meditation, philosophy, and interpretation of the Bible. But in these pages, one gains the ability to talk to God, to understand the mystical forces at work which create the universe, and harness them to do magic. For instance, in these pages is the information on how to create an artificial human out of dust, famously called a golem. It wasn't even hard to find. This shit's in the introduction. I'll go more in depth in a new segment that I'd like to call Esoteric Shit Lately. Esoteric Shit Lately. Now, before we begin, we have to remember the warning not to get lost in the garden. We learned in episode 18 that the acronym PARDES, meaning the garden, refers to the different levels of biblical interpretation that you can engage in. P-R-D-S. PARDES. As the legend goes, the last time four wise rabbis tried to enter the garden, only one of them escaped with his life and his mind intact. So, to keep ourselves from getting lost in the garden, I'm going to lay some concepts down, and you're just going to have to roll with it. I've done some research, I've peeked my head into the garden and quickly left, and as far as I can tell, you need to know at least two basic concepts to understand the rest of what I'm about to tell you. They may seem simple at first, but the whole of Jewish mysticism is built upon them. One, the universe relies on the numbers one through ten. Two, they also rely on the Hebrew alphabet. I told you, it sounds simple. Here's what it means. Long ago, before time, before humans, before creation, there was just God. The only way God was able to create was by channeling his divine energy through ten different emanations. In Kabbalah, these are known as the ten spherot. When arranged, they are referred to as the tree of life. They are keter, meaning the crown or spirit. Hakma, wisdom. Bina, understanding. Hesed, love. Givura, strength. Tifret, beauty. Nesak, victory. Hod, splendor. Yesod, foundation. And Malkut, kingship. In the Sefer Yetzirah, they are referred to as the Ten Sfurot, 
of nothingness. They are not physical things, but mental ideas. The only way we can interact with them and create, as God does, is to understand how these energies interact with each other, how they react within us, and their relationship with what the Sefer Yetzirah calls the foundational letters of the Hebrew alphabet. When the ten spherot were created, they were the first things to exist besides God. So it's the first time numbers were invented. The numbers, one through ten. But it was the Hebrew language, the divine language, that existed before the spherot, that are a part of God, which gives form and shape and quality to everything. So we have the qualitative and quantitative, but there is also quantitative in the qualitative and vice versa. Each of the ten spherot have like personalities and represent different characteristics in humans. On the other hand, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet has a number value. In the process of gematria, Jewish sages will add up the numbers of all the letters in a word to get a new word. And this is how you get lost in the garden. But now you know the two things, the ten spherot and the 22 Hebrew letters. In the view of Jewish mysticism, one who truly understands all these relationships can then read the Bible in the way that it was intended. The words may simply be words, but armed with esoteric knowledge, the sage begins to make connections. He understands why things happen in the Bible, and then they're able to decode the meaning of the universe. That's what the Bible's actually for, to teach you the matrix code so you can start looking around and figuring out how everything works. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Now that we understand that there's more that meets the eye when it comes to the Bible, let's address a particularly cutting issue that some of the guys out there might have an opinion about. Why? Oh, why, God? Why cut off the foreskin of the penis? They have an answer. According to the Sefer Yetzirah, there are many ways in which humans can interact with the mystical forces. One very common way is by having children. Two people are pulling together their spiritual resources and bringing a soul from the ether into our plane. What organ is used in order to do this? For men, yeah. First of all, it goes in a circle. The incision, representing infinity. I'm not making this up. It goes in a circle around the sexual organ, which is itself a conduit to the divine mystical realm. Additionally, the sexual urge is so strong, it is often the hardest of the human passions to control. Cutting off that foreskin symbolizes a man's commitment to rule over that passion and connect himself with the divine mystical world. So yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good reason. I mean, people killed each other for food back then. That's actually, that sounds, it's like a well-thought-out, beautiful kind of outlook. But it's the specificity that really gets me. For instance, how do they tolerate God having so many different names in the Bible? In fact, scholars use the differences in name usage to identify different authors. 
Here's the mystical explanation from the commentary of the Sefer Yetzirah. The names used in scripture and elsewhere merely refer to the various ways through which God manifests himself in creation. Remember, God is infinite. So if we've ever interacted with God, we're only interacting with a specific kind of emanation of God as manifested through the spherot. Man is seen as a microcosm with each thing in his body paralleling something in the forces of creation. But what forces? Well, you remember the six days of creation? The six days of creation have parallels in man's two arms, two legs, torso, and sexual organ. When man was created in our image, God referring to himself in the plural, this is because man's form parallels the structure of the delineating forces that define creation. Damn, these guys are good. What happens when the apologist's explanation is so good, it makes it sound like that's the way it was intended? Which came first, Jewish mystics, the Bible, or the explanations? As a non-believer, I have to take this with a grain of salt. Consider, perhaps, the Bible was simply written, and then Jewish mystics just thought of the best possible explanations, and then shared it with us. But what they were able to discover about the world is fascinating. When you add the 10 sefirot to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, you get the number 32, referred to in the Sefer Yetzirah as the 32 paths of wisdom. You math heads out there will know the number 32 is the fifth power of two what the commentary refers to as a five-dimensional hypercube has 32 apexes. A line has two. A square has four. A cube, eight. A fourth-dimensional cube, 16. What form would have 32 apexes? This is how they reason that the 32 paths of wisdom define a five-dimensional reality. Okay, one more. The number 32 we get from the 10 spherot and the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. 32 is written Lamed Vet, the Hebrew letter for L and the Hebrew letter for B or V. This creates the word Lev, which means heart. As the book explains, the mind exerts control over the body through the heart, which fuels the body. But therefore, the heart also gives life to the mind. For this reason, the Sefer Yetzirah calls the heart the king over the soul. That's the way it is in the human body. Now, the first word of the first book of the Torah is Bereshit, in the beginning. The last word in the last book of the Torah, Israel. Hebrew is written left to right. Israel ends with Lamed. L. Bereshit begins with a B. Vet. Lamed. Vet. The 32 paths of wisdom are contained in the Torah, and the Torah is the heart of all creation. Beautiful. That makes the Bible, even if you don't believe, an incredible work of art. When the numbers and letters combine to 
expound the philosophical principles that the book is meant to convey. And if you can create a golem on the side, it's all gravy, baby. On the other hand, if you've had enough of all of this mysticism, all of these meanings inside meanings inside meanings, and if you just want to get down to the simple life of a bunch of Israelites pissing off God in the desert, then, by all means, joineth me. If we walk back from the secret meaning, there's a basic meaning to learn too. Let's go. Chapter 16. Now, Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan. Dathan? Dathan. I like Dathan. It's like Nathan, but with a D. And Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, O-N, not off, On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? I mean, heavy is the crown. Remember in the last episode, God had to intervene so that Aaron and Moses didn't get stoned, but sure, we'll just say they're lifting themselves up. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. Ah, he said, God, please don't kill them. (laughs) And he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will shew who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do. Take you censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. And Moses said unto Korah, Here, I pray you, ye sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you, that the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel, to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them? That's a great point. He's a son of Levi, so he's among the Levites, the tribe of Levi, who conduct services in the tabernacle. Another thing of note, the others who are rebelling against Moses are sons of Reuben. Both Levi and Reuben were known for going against the wishes of Jacob. The sons of Levi have no inheritance, and the sons of Reuben, Reuben likewise, was denied inheritance to his sons. So... Not much has changed. Verse 10. And he hath brought thee near to him, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee, and seek ye the priesthood also? For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord? And what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, which said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing? that thou hast brought us up out of a land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us. Moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that floweth with milk and honey, 
or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards? Wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very wroth, and said unto the Lord, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. And Moses said unto Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, thou and they, and Aaron, tomorrow. And take every man his censer, and put incense in them, and bring ye before the Lord every man his censer, two hundred and fifty censers, thou also, and Aaron, each of you his censer. And they took every man his censer, and put fire in them, and laid incense thereon, and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, (laughs) that I may consume them in a moment. Yeah, that's what I thought. And they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sins. So they gat up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan and Abiram on every side. And Dathan and Abiram came out, and stood in the door of their tents, and their wives, and their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, Hereby, Ye shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. I am a prisoner. Somebody help me. You don't want this. (laughs) Kidding. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up, with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses, and all the men that appertained unto Korah, and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them, went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord, and consumed the two hundred and fifty men that offered incense. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, that he take up the censers out of the burning, and scatter thou the fire yonder, for they are hallowed. 
the censers of these sinners against their own souls. Let them make them broad plates for a covering of the altar, for they offered them before the Lord. Therefore they are hallowed, and they shall be a sign unto the children of Israel. The NIV translation of this, verse 38, is the censers of the men who sinned at the cost of their lives. Hammer the censers into sheets to overlay the altar, for they were presented before the Lord and have become holy. Let them be assigned to the Israelites. So God swallows them up and then takes their censers, beats it into metal, because you don't want to waste that gold. Be like, look what happens. <laughs> Whenever you see that new layer of gold, you remember. And Eleazar the priest took the brazen censers wherewith they that were burnt had offered. And they were made broad plates for a covering of the altar. Page turn. To be a memorial unto the children of Israel, that no stranger which is not of the seed of Aaron come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he be not as Korah and as his company, as the Lord said to him by the hand of Moses. Man, there's a rebellion like every two chapters. No, Moses is not raising himself up. He has the worst job in the world. Verse 41, but on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses. This murmuring, man, they got to stop murmuring. Murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, ye have killed the people of the Lord. And it came to pass, when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron, that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, <laughs> that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. Ah, here we go again. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer, and put fire therein from off the altar, and put on incense, and go quickly unto the congregation, and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stayed. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700 beside them that died about the matter of Korah. And Aaron returned unto Moses, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the plague was stayed. Well, maybe after being rescued by Aaron, they'll uh, get the hint. Chapter 17. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and take of every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers, and of all their princes according to the house of their fathers, Twelve rods. Write thou every man's name upon his rod. And thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi. For one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. And thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony, where I will meet with you. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom and I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. So he's like, I'm tired of this. We're going to settle it once and for all. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, 
and every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece, for each prince one, according to their father's house, even twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded, and brought forth buds, and bloomed blossoms, and yielded almonds. Hmm. And Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord unto all the children of Israel. And they looked, and took every man his rod. And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony, to be kept for a token against the rebels. And thou shalt quite take away their murmurings from me, that they die not. And Moses did so, as the Lord commanded him, so did he. And the children of Israel spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. Whosoever cometh anything near unto the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Shall we be consumed with dying? Hmm, it's a good question. This job has sucked for Moses, but at the same time, if you are of a weak constitution, quick to blame people, and don't take suffering well, the Exodus is the last place you want to be. For the children of Israel, it's just been near constant death. When will it stop? Up to them, I guess. Chapter 18 And the Lord said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary, and thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. And thy brethren also of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of thy father, bring thou with thee, that they may be joined unto thee, and minister unto thee. But thou and thy sons with thee shall minister before the tabernacle of witness, and they shall keep thy charge, and the charge of all the tabernacle. Only they shall not come nigh the vessels of the sanctuary and the altar, that neither they nor ye also die. And they shall be joined unto thee, and keep the charge of the tabernacle of the congregation, for all the service of the tabernacle, and a stranger shall not come nigh unto you. And ye shall keep the charge of the sanctuary, and the charge of the altar, that there be no wrath any more upon the children of Israel. And I, behold, I have taken your brethren the Levites from among the children of Israel. To you they are given as a gift for the Lord to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Therefore thou and thy sons with thee shall keep your priest's office for everything of the altar and within the veil, and ye shall serve. I have given your priest's office unto you as a service of gift, and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Behold, I also have given thee the charge of mine heave offerings, of all the hallowed things of the children of Israel. Unto thee have I given them by reason of the anointing, and to thy sons by an ordinance forever. This shall be thine of the most holy things, reserved from the fire. Every oblation of theirs, every meat offering of theirs, and every sin offering of theirs, and every trespass offering of theirs, which they shall render unto me, shall be most holy for thee 
and for thy sons. In the most holy place shalt thou eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy unto thee. And this is thine, the heave offering of their gift, with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel. I have given them unto thee, and to thy sons and to thy daughters with thee, by a statute forever. Every one that is clean in thy house shall eat of it. All the best of the oil, and all the best of the wine, and of the wheat, the first fruits of them, which they shall offer unto the Lord, them have I given thee. That doesn't sound too bad. And whatsoever is first ripe in the land, which they shall bring unto the Lord, shall be thine. Every one that is clean in thine house shall eat of it. So this sounds to me like basically a reconsecration of all of the duties that they had been charged with in the first place. And if they get it right this time, maybe God doesn't have to kill anybody else. Everything devoted in Israel shall be thine. Everything that openeth the matrix in all flesh, which they bring unto the Lord, whether it be of men or beasts, shall be thine. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man shalt thou surely redeem, and the firstling of unclean beasts shalt thou redeem. And those that are to be redeemed from a month old shalt thou redeem, according to thine estimation, for the money of five shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, which is twenty jerahs. But the firstling of a cow, God, back into the laws. All right. But the firstling of a cow, or the firstling of a sheep, or the firstling of a goat, thou shalt not redeem. They are holy. Thou shalt sprinkle their blood upon the altar. Oh, they're to be killed. <laughs> and shalt burn their fat for an offering made by fire for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the flesh of them shall be thine as the wave breast and as the right shoulder are thine. All the heave offerings of the holy things, which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord, have I given thee, and thy sons and thy daughters with thee, by a statute forever. It is a covenant of salt, forever before the Lord unto thee, and to thy seed with thee. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am thy part, and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance, for their service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Neither must the children of Israel henceforth come nigh the tabernacle of the congregation, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel they have no inheritance. But the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as an heave offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites to inherit. Therefore I have said unto them, Among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thus speak unto the Levites, and say unto them, When ye take of the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then ye shall offer up and heave offering of it for the Lord, even a tenth part of the tithe. A tenth part because... 
of the tense if you wrote, or it's just a low, acceptable number, you decide. And this your heave offering shall be reckoned unto you, as though it were the corn of the threshing floor, and as the fullness of the winepress. Thus ye also shall offer an heave offering unto the Lord of all your tithes, which ye receive of the children of Israel, and ye shall give thereof the Lord's heave offering to Aaron the priest. Out of all your gifts ye shall offer every heave offering of the Lord, of all the best thereof, even the hallowed part thereof out of it. Therefore thou shalt say unto them, When ye have heaved the best thereof from it, then it shall be counted unto the Levites as the increase of the threshing floor and as the increase of the winepress. Page turn. These are really thin pages. That's it. Nope. This is like... This is actually difficult to do. There we are. And ye shall eat it in every place, ye and your households, for it is your reward for your service in the tabernacle of the congregation. And ye shall bear no sin by reason of it, when ye have heaved from it the best of it. (laughs) Neither shall ye pollute the holy things of the children of Israel, lest ye die. That's sensible, though. Like, you're getting the best of the best of the best of the first fruits, but so that you bear no sin by reason of it. You got to give that cream of the crop, literally, to the Lord. All right. Chapter 19. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came yoke. And ye shall give her unto Eleazar the priest, that he may bring her forth without the camp, and one shall slay her before his face. And Eleazar the priest shall take of her blood with his finger, and sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. And one shall burn the heifer in his sight, her skin and her flesh, and her blood with her dung shall he burn. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast it into the midst of the burning of the heifer. We've seen cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet before. Then the priest shall wash his clothes and he shall bathe his flesh in water. And afterward, he shall come into the camp and the priest shall be unclean until the even. This is, uh, this is kind of sounding like a scapegoat ritual, but why a red heifer? And he that burneth her shall wash his clothes in water and bathe his flesh in water and shall be unclean until the even. And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them up without the camp in a clean place. And it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel, for a water of separation. It is a purification for sin. And he that gathereth the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the even. And it shall be unto the children of Israel 
and unto the stranger that sojourneth among them, for a statute forever. NIV translation of 1919. A man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and put them in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp. They are to be kept by the Israelite community for use in the water of cleansing. It is for purification from sin. So the ashes are sprinkled in the water of cleansing. So that's basically, once they burn the ashes, they keep it outside the camp. And whenever they need to cleanse somebody with water, they have to go all the way back outside, mix in the little ash, (laughs) go back, and finish the ritual. If it's going to take away your sin, you got to work for it. Verse 11. He that toucheth the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. Shouldn't come as a surprise. He shall purify himself with it on the third day, and on the seventh day he shall be clean, it being the water of purification, or water of separation. Whosoever toucheth the dead body of any man that is dead, and purify not himself, defileth the tabernacle of the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from Israel, because the water of separation was not sprinkled upon him. He shall be unclean, his uncleanness is yet upon him. This is the law. When a man dieth in a tent, all that come into the tent, and all that is in the tent, shall be unclean seven days. And every open vessel which hath no covering bound upon it is unclean. And whosoever toucheth one that is slain with a sword in the open fields, or a dead body, or a bone of a man, or a grave, shall be unclean seven days. And for an unclean person, they shall take of the ashes of the burnt heifer of purification for sin, and running water shall be put thereto in a vessel. And a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle it upon the tent and upon all the vessels and upon the persons that were there and upon him that touched a bone or one slain or one dead or a grave. And the clean person shall sprinkle upon the unclean on the third day, and on the seventh day, and on the seventh day he shall purify himself, and wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and shall be clean at even. But the man that shall be unclean, and shall not purify himself, that soul shall be cut off from among the congregation, because he hath defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of separation hath not been sprinkled upon him, He is unclean, and it shall be a perpetual statute unto them that he that that sprinkleth the water of separation shall wash his clothes, and he that toucheth the water of separation shall be unclean until even. And whatsoever the unclean person toucheth shall be unclean, and the soul that toucheth it shall be unclean until even. Chapter 20. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there, and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Aaron. (sighs) Guys, stop gathering together against Moses and Aaron. It's not a good idea. Plus, his sister just died. That's sad.
anyway, and there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses, chodes, and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. And why have ye brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have ye made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us to bring us in unto this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates. <laughs> I miss pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. What's up? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord, as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. Now, I'm actually familiar with this incident. Moses strikes the rock and gets water for the whining children of Israel, but something mysterious about the way he's gone about it has offended the Lord. Now, he did strike the rock, not once, but twice. God clearly said, speak to the rock. Apparently, he should have just had a nice conversation. In the commentaries, Striking the rock twice shows that Moses did so out of anger. So Moses was frustrated. But why would Moses be frustrated? Because according to God. And can God be wrong? I don't know. Ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. He didn't believe and he didn't sanctify God. He didn't say, yo, God be great. He just said, here, smack, smack, take some water, fools. So close, so close to the end, Moses loses his temper, one can assume. Either way, both he and Aaron are complicit in a sin that pisses God off enough that now neither of them will lead the children of Israel into the promised land. That sucks. Also, this is the water of Meribah because the children of Israel strove with the Lord. To strive means to fight, with or against. Here, Meribah translates to place of strife, making the water of Meribah the water of strife. Verse 13. And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom. Thus saith thy brother Israel, Thou knowest all the travail that hath befallen us, 
how our fathers went down into Egypt, and we have dwelt in Egypt a long time. And the Egyptians vexed us and our fathers. And when we cried unto the Lord, he heard our voice, and sent an angel, and hath brought us forth out of Egypt. And, behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border. Let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed thy borders. And Edom said unto him, Thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with the sword. And the children of Israel said unto him, We will go by the highway, and if I and my cattle drink of thy water, then I will pay for it. I will only, without doing anything else, go through on my feet. And he said, Thou shalt not go through. And Edom came out against him with much people and with a strong hand. Thus, Edom refused to give Israel passage through his border. Wherefore, Israel turned away from him. Which is interesting because we are talking about the descendants of the children of Edom, who is also called Esau, and the children of Israel, who was Jacob. When Jacob was making his pilgrimage through the land of Esau, Esau welcomed him with open arms. But now, the children of Israel and the children of Edom are at odds. This seems to me that the children of Edom are in the wrong. They are not following the will of their own patriarch. Because of this, Moses and the children of Israel are going to have to find another way. And the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came unto Mount Hor. <laughs> H-O-R. Mount Ho, yeah, Mount Hor. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor, by the coast of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, for he shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel, because ye rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son, and bring them up unto Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eleazar his son. And Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, and shall die there. Wow, the end of Aaron. On the other hand, retirement, that's nice. And Moses did as the Lord commanded. And they went up into Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments, and put them upon Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there, in the top of the mount, and Moses and Eleazar came down from the mount. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, they mourned for Aaron thirty days, even all the house of Israel. And if you're looking for a happy ending, I'm sorry. Today, we're ending on a down note. Moses has lost two of his closest relatives. In between each death, he has also been prohibited from setting foot in the Holy Land, after everything he's done. I identify with Moses a lot. I feel that I'm slow of tongue. I feel that I am slow of mind. And I feel like one of these days, I'm going to say or do the wrong thing. <laughs> it's going to get me fucked. <sighs> Had to strike the rock, huh? 
This is bad. But maybe it's also good. The priesthood has turned now to Eleazar. The people who have sinned the most are essentially Moses' generation. All the old guys, all the leaders. By passing the priesthood to Eleazar, there may be a new hope. The next generation can take it from here. And there's another thing about Moses' frustration. Now that the ultimate reward, getting to be in the Holy Land, has been taken from him, maybe he can chill out. The temptation of all that whoring, supposedly, made Lot's wife turn back over her shoulder for one more wistful look at the sodomy. The children of Israel longed for the comforts of Egypt, maybe by taking away the idea that Moses is going to get a nice cush retirement in the land of milk and honey will help him not be so frustrated. I mean, look at the primary food source for the Israelites. It's matzah bread, tasteless, dry crackers. Part of the genius of it is that you're not looking forward to a delicious meal of bananas and dates and apricots. When you need to stay the course, just eat and not be tempted, it's the perfect food. You can wake up, eat your bread, and be ready for the other tasteless, dry things you're going to encounter during the day. I mean, the more I think about it, the people of Israel keep coming down on Moses. There's clearly a contentious relationship happening there. I'm not saying it's Moses' fault, but maybe it's a little bit Moses' fault. Maybe something needed to change. Maybe his generation just couldn't escape their own sins. Moses is still alive. He's clearly the best of them. But part of the 40 years is weeding out the generations of people who were frustrated and wanted to go back to Egypt rather than suffer in the desert. It reminds me in science fiction of the idea of traveling to new planets because they're so far away. Inevitably, as the thought experiment goes, you get generations of people who just live on the ships waiting to get to the new planet. Like, think about that culture shock. You get people who lived on Earth. And man, I really miss Earth. I'm just stuck in this ship. And then you get the ship generation. Man, I sure do love this ship. And then you get the planet generation. Man, I miss the ship. What are we doing on this planet? In order to move forward, things have to change. And if things are going to change, you can't wish that they'll stay the same. Just some things I'm thinking about as I try to rationalize what the fuck just happened. I think I'll leave it there before my frustration causes me to do something I might regret. That said, thanks for joining me on the Non-Believer Bible Club. Keep calm, soldier on, don't hit that rock more than once. Adios.